God be the glory. It's uh, very gratifying that uh, we're able to fulfill Dr. Falwell's original vision, which is to play at the very highest level. Guys, I want to tell you, you're representing so many people today. You are living out what people started many years ago. You are walking on their shoulders, their foundation. You make up your mind that you leave this field today with absolutely no regrets that you'll remember. That you left it all out there and you come back in here and I gave it all for Liberty University, my teammates, my coaches. We'll do it together, for we can. For we, we can. can do all things. Do all things. Through Christ Jesus. He strengthens us. Strengthens us. Each and every day. Each and every day. And may God. And may God. Play with play. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the A Sea of Red podcast. What's up, guys? My name is Chad Hassan, and I have with me tonight our special guest host, although he is on these airwaves just about as much as anyone, John Manson, owner and creator of SeaOfRed.com. John, how goes it? And uh, it's finally game week. Man, it finally hit me. I think, was it Monday morning? I think I texted you and... I was pretty hyped, ready to go. Um, it's been a long time coming. What is it? September 19th when Saturday rolls around. It, it's, it's, I'm just ready for some football. It's been a long summer. We've all had a long, tough year. I'm ready to play some football. Yes. Um, that would be kind of hilarious if you played football. Um, I hope you're ready to watch football. Uh, <laughs> That's true. So <laughs> if, if you had to run a six yard out, and uh, catch it for a first down and had to create some separation. Is there any chance we're getting the first down, or should we just go load up the bus? Are we playing Presbyterian or Western Kentucky? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good point. Um, So, guys, we have an awesome episode lined up. We have Hugh Freeze, head coach Hugh Freeze, uh, joining the the podcast. We also have Casey Warner from the WKU Herald. He writes for for them and covers – Western Kentucky sports. So he'll give us the inside scoop and uh, looking forward to that. John, I just want to pick your brain about a couple of topics here. First of all is the quarterback battle. Uh, We had, we had a transfer come in. We had another transfer come in the next year. And these two kind of duked it out. We got Bennett. What all shook down? Why did we wait so long? You know, you'd think we have an SEC caliber quarterback in the quarterback room. It should be should be said and done. So what took so long and uh, what were some of the key factors in that decision for the coaching staff? You know, I thought all along, even since they brought in uh, Ferguson in December, which we were down in uh, Orlando for the Cure Bowl when he uh, signed and that became uh, public. But I thought ever since then and ever since Malik came to Liberty that, I mean, it was his job, his job to lose. And it was just a formality in naming him starting quarterback. And, you know, we saw it all off season and, you know, all the billboards around Lynchburg and all the uh, print material advertising the season. I mean, Malik was, was everywhere, right? He was the, you know, the cover child, the poster boy, if you wanted to say that, uh, of the program going into a, a new era um, after Buckshot and uh, AGG are no longer with the program. So it just seemed like it was a, just a mere formality, and I felt that way all along. And it, my feelings just really changed in the, since they named him starter. To be honest with you, I mean, um, I thought he was you know going to be you know the standout and be the guy that um, you know was was the no brainer 
lock to to get it. But and during training camp, the coaching staff said all the right things. They said it's a very even race. We'll see how it's going. All three, including Jonathan Bennett, are, are even. But I just thought they were that was just coach speak. <clears throat> well, now that we've had a chance to talk to Coach Freeze and, and the quarterbacks coach Ken Austin and both Malik Willis and Chris Ferguson uh, after this uh, decision has been made, and I, I realize it was actually a very close race. Coach Austin said that Jonathan Bennett actually graded out higher than any of the three quarterbacks during training camp, but it was just they were very close together within percentage points of one another. Uh, so I'm really surprised to hear that. Um, you know, and they basically said both Freeze and Austin said that it was pretty much uh, Malik Willis's ability with to scramble to to make things happen with his legs that kind of gave them, you know, the benefit of the doubt and pushed him over the hump. Um, but Freeze, even today, I listened to him on a radio show tonight. Uh, it's Tuesday night when we're recording, and um, he said that you know he the competition's not over. Um, you know, he's not going to hesitate one bit to um, put in another guy or guys, plural, meaning Ferguson and or Bennett, uh, if the offense struggles. Um, you know, as I'm really, to be honest, I'm really surprised that it was as close as it was. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess we'll find out Saturday. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Coach Freeze, one of his top things when he came here was competition. So you got to kind of take some of that with a grain of salt. You would think he is out there just pushing these guys. He doesn't want anybody to feel comfortable. He thinks that competition and, and the thought that you might lose your job drives and gets the best out of each player. So I don't know how much of that is uh, how much of that is coach speak and how much of that is true. But, it, you know, Bennett really had a good spring last year and, and he was a serviceable, serviceable backup last year until he got hurt. And, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that he's there, but you're right. It is it is kind of odd that it was that close. We'll see on um, Saturday. One thing I said last week about Malik is he kind of strikes me as one of those guys, especially with his scrambling ability, that we don't really get to see and the coaches really don't get to see the full his full potential in practice. It's when those lights come on and everybody is ratcheting it up a gear and uh, that's when he really turns it on and and you can really see the benefit he he adds to the roster. So, um, you know, Freeze is a is a wily old vet when it comes time to quarterback competitions. He's had a couple of them uh, at his former stops and uh, he always seems to get the best out of these guys. So looking forward to Saturday, I would not be surprised at all to see Ferguson take a couple of snaps. Even Bennett, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a snap or two. Uh, a package similar to what we saw for uh, Pop Robinson last year. It was a designed, you know, three plays or something like that. So, um, John, it's game week, Western Kentucky. Just initial thoughts on this game and kind of, uh, what are we, a 14-and-a-half-point underdog right now? I mean, mean, we're both homers, and we're admittedly homers. But come on, 14-and-a-half, give me Liberty plus 14-and-a-half all day, which reminds me, we do have the Liberty Line segment coming up with uh, Jared Brooks, who always seems to break down the Vegas odds and and gives us his pick every week. And uh, he is off to a hot start this year already. He um, I saw on Twitter he picked the Kentucky Derby winner. So um, you'll want to stay tuned for that. But, yeah, what, what's up with the 14-and-a-half point line? I know Western Kentucky's good, but come on, we got to cover that, right? 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hate to be the pessimistic one, but uh, yeah, if I was betting, I, I would pick Liberty, I, but I would stay away from this game personally uh, right now. There's too many unknowns when it comes to the Flames. Um, Western Kentucky, uh, on paper, they're, they're good. I think a lot of Liberty people are, are underestimating how good this team uh, can be. Um, their defense returns uh, nine starters from a top 25 unit a year ago. I know they didn't look great against Louisville, but this is Louisville, and they, they were full of uh, ACC caliber athletes that you know the Flames obviously don't have. Um, so with them being so good on defense, having a lot of returners back, Liberty having a lot of question marks, particularly at, at quarterback. Um, I'm a little concerned that Liberty is going to be able to sustain enough drives to, to put up enough points to, to, to cover, to make it within 14 points. Um, but, but that's where it's a big unknown with Malik Willis. And as you mentioned, he could provide something that we haven't seen in practice that, that we haven't seen as Liberty fans for a decade, going back to when Mike Brown was a quarterback. Um, and if he's able to provide that spark and gets this offense going, and yeah, you're right. Um, you know, it's an easy pick. Take Liberty uh, to cover those 14 points. And and um, but but it's a lot of unknowns um, on def on defense. I'm concerned too because this is a very talented uh, Western Kentucky team with a uh, transfer quarterback from uh, Maryland, Tyrell Pigrome, who uh, is a very he's also a dual threat quarterback and led the team in rushing last week, but they also have a second team all-Conference uh, USA running back that returns from last year who ran for 1,300 yards in Gage Walker. So um, we're going to have to stop their run. That's going to be the first thing we're going to have to take away from them because I don't think they really want uh, Pig Rome to, to have to beat us with, with his arm, but we want to make him have to beat us with his arm. Um, yeah. So it'll be an interesting game. So... <sighs> Two, two final topics here. Uh, first of all, what unit or player has has all the buildup and the hype besides Willis right now? Uh, what other unit, what other players, what other newcomers um, are you looking forward to? You got a bold prediction for us. Um, just kind of what's your what's your outlook on on eat some of these individual players? I'm really excited to see what Joshua Mack can bring. I mean, this is a guy who you know, we all know he led the FCS in rushing a few years ago at Maine. Um, he kind of was um, finding his way last year with a new coaching staff, first time back on the field in, in over a year. Uh, was kind of down the depth chart to start the season, if we remember. I mean, Hickson was a 1,000-yard rusher that was returning, so we knew what we had in him. Peyton Pickett was a guy who had ran for eight or nine touchdowns uh, two years ago. Um, so Mac was the third running back entering the season and and he fumbled there at the start of the Syracuse game when he first got a chance to get in into the game down inside the five yard line um so that kind of set him back a little bit he did come on as the season went on and establish himself as the clear second option behind Frankie but now as we come into this year he's the clear number one guy and, and we're expecting a lot of him, out of him and out of all the skill positions on offense other than DJ Stubbs, obviously, he's the one proven commodity that Liberty has. And with a very experienced uh, and established offensive line, I think that uh, Mac could have a great season this year. And I hate to get a stat pro projection because we're only playing 10 games. So it's hard for me in my mind because I start to say, oh, he's going to run for a thousand yards. But 
that means he has to average 100 yards a game playing 10 games. But I, I don't think that's outside of the the realm of possibility for him. But I'm really looking forward to see what uh, J Mac can provide this year. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I'm going to go defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with a unit. I like this safeties unit. Man, we got some big guys, Kid Glass and Treadwell. These guys are big, fast, physical, and like you mentioned, they're going to have to get involved in stopping that run game on Saturday. So I'm excited to see that unit. Um, it seems to be a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical um, than safeties we've had in the past in terms of run stoppers. It reminds me of uh, Jacob Hagens or somebody like that who who's pretty – Pretty good in, in the air, but also can come up and stop the run. I'm looking forward to watching that. The second topic I kind of want to talk with you about is just the change in leadership at Liberty and how do you think that's going to affect athletics? Do you think that Liberty's committed to this vision that Dr. Falwell originally had about using athletics as as a vehicle to reach you know young people, to bring them to the school? And uh, you know, what is your thoughts on just Liberty's continuing their commitment i mean nobody has shown a greater commitment to athletics over the past five years to a decade than liberty uh, especially at our level with the facilities and the amount we're paying coaches and things like that do you think that'll continue under new leadership or do you see that that was uh kind of kind of might go go to the side here with with new leadership brought in what are your thoughts on that it's a great question um you know there's a lot of things we could say about Jerry Falwell Jr., but one thing you couldn't question was his commitment to the athletic program. Um, if they asked for it, they got it. Um, sometimes even if they didn't ask for it, they still got it. I mean, they're they're still building an indoor tennis facility. Like what what uh, G5 or lower school has an indoor tennis facility? Um, you know, I mean, what's what sport at Liberty – Division one sport doesn't have a new facility from in the last five to 10 years or, or a remodeled one. I mean, we got Liberty Arena that's wrapping up here. Uh, we've seen softball, baseball, obviously football. Um, same thing you mentioned salaries. I mean, they've, they've given multiple extensions and, and raises to Coach McKay in the last couple of years. Did it again with Coach Freeze uh, last year, um, you know, and his coaching staff. So it, it's really a big unknown what's going to happen going forward. I would like to think they would continue that. I mean, you know, Jerry Falwell Sr. always, you know, harped on athletics being such a big, vital, uh, you know, outlet for the university to, to reach the world and, and to reach its full mission. Um, so I'd like to think it's still going to be a, a high importance. Um, but a lot of it depends on who that full-time president is once, once they're named. Um, you know, will it be someone that's more on the academic side and, and someone's more conservative in spending? Um, you know, maybe they make athletic department at least tread water, if not, um, you know, make some money. So that's not something that ever that's ever happened before. Um, but as long as Ian McCall is there, I, I have a lot of confidence in the athletic department, and the athletic program. And let's be honest, too, they, they've already got the foundation built. It's, and it's not like a new president is going to come in and, and cut salaries of, of a staff like Hugh Freeze and his staff. Um, that, that's just not going to happen. Um, it, it wouldn't show up until a few years down the road when we're looking for replacement head coaches, which hopefully we're not, um, or when some of these facilities in the years to come get a little bit outdated or, or maybe a little small um, for where we're at at that point in time. But 
for the next three to five years, I don't see it really having much of an impact on the athletic program. I, I think it can only help in recruiting because um, we've talked about some of that negative backlash we've had uh, from Jerry Jr. And, and his politics and negative media surrounding him. Um, yeah, so, that, you know, those are kind of my initial thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I feel the exact same way. And, you know, Liberty's fan base was kind of built on, we've all kind of got that, that BHAG, as Dr. Falwell would call it, we had that big, hairy, audacious goal. We all kind of have a little bit of that visionary and dreamer inside of us. If you, especially the older alumni who heard him in convocation every Wednesday, just talk about w- what he wanted the Liberty to be. And, and we all kind of got excited about that. So I think for the most part, our fan base and, and everybody in administration kind of knows that, that that's not going away, um, despite who the leader is. And I don't think they would pick a leader that would basically come in and say, you know what, we're going to be more fiscally conservative and, kind of make some money off of our athletic program. I, I don't see that happening. I mean, we built Snowflex. We, we were spending money like crazy on that. And uh, so I don't see that stopping. I just thought I'd get your thoughts as overall. It's kind of been in the back of my mind. I, I really don't think it's a concern, but it's been in the back of my mind. I mean, we're here for life. I mean, we're, we're Liberty fans, uh, you know, f- forever on and we're alumni. So it's kind of one of those things that's hard to look 10 years down the road anywhere, but just kind of wanted to pick your brain there. Um, final thoughts here. Um, you are going to Western Kentucky, right? Yeah. Taking leave, the family? Yep, yeah, we leave on Friday. So um, so you'll go down to the game, and then and what is your kind of game day routine down there? Are you going to send the send the kids to the water park and then go set up and go set up in the media room six hours before kickoff. I mean, I went with you to the cure bowl and it was like, we were the first ones into the stadium. We had our bags in there before they even allowed people in. I mean, you're, you take this stuff seriously, especially the first game of the year. I can't imagine, I can't imagine anybody being set up in that media room and being more excited than you, which is, uh, which is great. And it definitely comes through in your coverage of uh, Liberty flames at a sea of red and, it's kind of one of the cool things that you can do is become be a fan and cover them as media. So what is your game day uh, routine looking like? And uh, do you anticipate being being there when the doors open? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you remember back to the Cure Bowl. We almost got kicked out of the stadium after we entered. We, we kind of snuck in a back door. I don't think the, the security guard was supposed to let us in. But uh, then we just walked around the stadium and acted like we were supposed to be there until they, they wanted us up in the press box. But um, Unfortunately, for this Saturday, the game starts so early. It starts at 11 a.m. Central Time, uh, 12 Eastern here, noon uh, in, on the East Coast. Um, so I don't think I'll be able to get there too super early. But um, my brother and his family lives in uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, which is about an hour and a half drive from Bowling Green. So we're heading to his house Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and we'll head on over to Bowling Green first thing Saturday morning, but I should get there, you know, hour and a half, two hours before the game starts. Uh, hopefully find my way inside with no, no issues. I did get an email just, just this evening. I was looking at before we recorded this about all the COVID-19 protocols for the media. And basically I have to, I'm combined to a one area, I have to wear a mask the entire time and, and not allowed to interact with many people, but that's fine. I, I you know, certainly grateful and thankful to be able to attend the game. I know uh, they're limited to, I believe, 25% capacity, um, which they have a 22,000 seat, uh, 22,000 
uh, seat capacity at their stadium. So I think that'll come out to about five to 6,000 people um, in the stadium. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun, uh, even in this COVID-19 world that we all live in now. All right, John, looking forward to all the coverage this weekend. And um, as always, go Flames. Thanks for all you're doing to cover cover the Flames athletics and keep us all um, keep us all in the know and, and, and breaking all the news and getting all the stories and, and just kind of taking your, your fan opinion on things. It's uh, very helpful and it's a lot been a, been a fun ride here over the last, I guess, what, five years now or so. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, the story for Messiah of red, how, you know, basically you started this thing and, uh, and Duke was involved early on and, you guys kind of started this thing and as you guys have grown, so has the athletics department. It's kind of, it's kind of wild how those two uh, curves match up. So, uh, so similarly. Yeah, it really is. It's interesting. It was just good timing, I guess, on our part, but um, it's been a lot of fun. We've seen a lot of, a lot of highs, a lot of lows there too, but, but more highs than lows. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Game week. Let's get it. And uh, John, thanks as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Go Flames. All right, guys, we are joined by head coach Hugh Freeze. Coach, thanks for taking time out of this uh, busy game week to join us. Um, How are things going? And our first question kind of is, how does your routine change on game week from going from fall camp into the game week? What does your day look like in terms of just what, when do you wake up? When do you go to bed? How's everything changed for you game week? Well, well, it depends on did we have a COVID test that day or not. If we had a COVID test, <laughs> then I'm up most of the night because the, the seems like the, the, the results come in around 1045, 11 o'clock, and then my phone starts dinging. And uh, you just uh, you keep your fingers crossed and pray that – that everything goes well and and typically what happens is you get uh, a group of uh that seems seems like there's an always a group of inconclusives and those just keep you up all night until the next morning we've been very fortunate uh that all of those are seem to be coming back negative so that's a blessing but uh routine doesn't change any other than practices uh, um we're up here around six six thirty in the morning and we kind of start our day and uh, with meetings and and then hit the practice field and so everything is has been the same as as the other weeks with the exception of you obviously back off some on game week just trying to uh, eliminate whatever you don't like in the plan and make sure your kids are are extremely fresh and as fresh as you can be I mean I have a I have this uh, concern that. Uh, with everything that's been so different, you know, are we are we really prepared physically to to play an eighty game, um, eighty play game on both sides of the ball with the energy that that is obviously different on game day, uh, the adrenaline, all of those things. I'm not sure that uh, we will know that answer until till we start playing, but um, really want to get our kids fresh. So today was really the last day that we'll have pads on. Uh, tomorrow we'll go spiders and and uh, be more of a lower tempo walkthrough as Friday will just be a normal walkthrough. So Thursday is really the only 
normal Thursdays won't be quite as light as tomorrow's Thursday will be. So speaking of how your uh, how your schedule changes and stuff like that, one of the first things Ian told us when uh, when the announcement was made that you were going to be the coach, one of the first things he said about you was he learned recruiting from Ed Orgeron and that whole school of just day and night, every day of the week. And it seems like recruiting is going well for you. But what is your kind of philosophy? Is it that truly uh, an all day, 24-7 type thing? And, and, and why is that? How has that been so successful for you? Well, I did, uh, you know, I thought Ed was one of the better recruiters I'd ever been around. And um, that whole staff uh, that we were on was was very good at it. And, you know, you obviously, when you become a head coach, you you, you take things from people that you've learned, whether it be Steve Roberts or Mike McIntyre or, or Ed Orgeron or, or people that you've are good friends that you've been around, whether it's Nick or Gus or some of those guys. And then you try to make them fit your personality and, you know, we, uh, we, we believe we're a relational staff and you win recruiting for us, um, by the relationships. Well, obviously in, in any relationship, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of, uh, um, time that you put into it. And so it's certainly, uh, something we believe that you have to put a lot of time in. And we've got a good recruiting department here that, that, um, you know, that organizes that all of that for us. I have a kind of a typical routine for me uh, as to to when I'm, you know, talking to those those players that we're interested in and trying to get to know them and them get to know us. It's been quite different this 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 recruiting cycle because you just don't have much uh, time. To, we haven't had really any time to evaluate in person, um, and so you have to, you know, hopefully you know you base your evaluations on on what you see on tape and and then the number of times we've been able to facetime them or uh get them on some virtual world just to have conversations with them and their family i do think our staff's done a remarkable job under the circumstances uh of where we are currently in recruiting i'm not uh, naive i know that recruiting's never over and so you have to continue recruiting those kids until you get that that signature on the paper that uh, that they're definitely coming to Liberty, but we're we're pretty pleased. But yes, uh, learning from from the trees I've been from, Ed included, he was as he was persistent at recruiting as any I've ever been around, and I think that's similar to to what we try to do. So uh, looking at a team in Western Kentucky, we're playing Saturday. You you got a quarterback that led the team in rushing last week. I know that there's a lot of factors that go into stopping a scrambling quarterback, but what's something you can look at and say, hey, here's a stat that uh, if we do this, if we open field tackle, if we spy, what, what the scheme, what is the most important thing in stopping a guy like Pigram on Saturday just from rushing and being able to extend plays? Yeah, first is tackling, and that's something in going into every year into the first game that you're really concerned about is is how we're going to – to tackle, particularly in open space. And um, this year, maybe more so than ever, because we just haven't, we didn't have spring ball and I tackle a lot in spring ball. Um, But you're hesitant to do that in fall camp because, you know, the priority is, man, can we get our team to the game and get them healthy? And the last thing you want to do is is create too many scenarios where uh, you have the possibility of injuries. And 
you're going to have those whether you tackle or not, but you sure want to minimize the risk. And, you know, we've tackled in two live scrimmages. But other than that, the tackling has been based on just fundamental stuff in individual drills with the the apparatuses that are created to help you do that. But you certainly are, are apprehensive and worried, you know, will we tackle well, especially when you throw out a kid like uh, their quarterback. I um, mean, Pig Rome is – yeah, he's different now. He's he's hard to corral. So you you first think about tackling, and then secondly, you you know, do we really want to rush this guy? <laughs> you know, or, or should we just kind of stand still <laughs> and and hope that uh, he runs into us uh, when he is scrambling? <laughs> but uh, so I think you got to have a mixture of that, and and your D line has to be very aware of the levels to which they rush. You know, the last thing you want to do is have two guys rush at, at very high levels and, and other two are not at the same level and that creates running lanes. And he's just, uh, he'll be very, it'll be very difficult for us to win the game if he gets a bunch of those opportunities. So let's talk about our quarterback a little bit. I, I know that uh, we just named Malik the starter and we've been excited to see him play. One thing you've said in the past about players like Stubbs is there's certain guys that that on game day when the lights come on, they're just a little bit faster. They they just make the make the bigger plays a little bit easier. Um, what indication do you have that we might be able to see that same type of thing from Malik, or we 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 really won't know till the ball's down on Saturday? Yeah, I think that's true. I, I don't know. You know, I've never unless you've you know if you have a returning quarterback, you know pretty much what you can expect because you've seen him in those situations. You know, it's been several years since Malik was a starting quarterback and how he's going to handle uh, the different looks the the course of in the course of a game that he gets at the pace we want to play. It's a total unknown. And, you know, he's been inconsistent at times in, in practice uh, with those. He's gotten better, uh, as has Chris, but it's uh, still a totally, you know, an unknown thing as to, you know, how he's going to respond on game day. And we're hopeful and confident and, and optimistic. Um, but you really don't know until until we see Saturday. It'd be a great uh, great test for, you know, currently where, where are we at that position. So um, you, you seem like a coach that just really loves football. I mean, just from the verbiage you use, you're, you're not there just to coach. You're there for the adrenaline and, and just the, the sport. You've grown up around it and loved it. How relieved are you going to be on Saturday when we put the ball down and there's competition out there and the lights are on and the cameras are on? Is that something you kind of kind of live for in terms of in terms of just that game day experience? You seem to be really heavy on that. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know of, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've always been a competitive guy and uh, growing up, whatever I did, you know, I wanted to compete. And and as you get older, um, there's very, very few things that I can compete at anymore. Um, I, I can compete at golf. Um, I, I can't compete in really anything else athletically. Um, but I see, you know, coaching as, as a way I can compete and, and hopefully put our kids in a situation where they can have success. And, you know, game day is always special to me. I just, uh, I don't, uh, I don't take any of those for granted. Um, you know, after last year's experience and having to miss those games and really even some of them that I was at, I was really just there. And 
um, it's just special. And Saturday will be extremely special uh, again for us to to play. And I, I love those atmospheres. The bigger atmosphere, the the more I love it. And uh, just excited for our kids and our staff and and our university to to hopefully get to Saturday and be able to play. Last question for you, Coach, is kind of you've been around several programs and, and Power 5 programs. You've seen how these things go. Liberty being such a young fan base and, and having, you know, a couple years into the FBS thing, and we're kind of – we just now have evolved into getting a couple of fan websites and getting people engaged and the turnout at the games and stuff like that. What's one What's one thing that you could kind of say to, to – to see where where does Liberty stand now and uh, what's one way we can get to that level where we have fans breaking down the doors to get into the game and, and those types of things. Is it just winning that takes care of that or is there a certain level of engagement that the fans could have? Uh, no question. Number one is winning. Uh, winning, it creates energy, creates support, creates uh, those people that were on the fringe of how much they enjoyed uh, football. Uh, coming on over and saying we're all in. And then I think the atmosphere you create, is it a fun product to watch? And uh, do our kids represent, you know, who we are here as a culture in, in, a, in a positive way, in a good way? Not that, any, not that we're perfect and won't make mistakes, but certainly that uh, this is a, a team that man, our people can get behind. You know, the my first year here, I was really um, pleased with – our home field and our atmosphere that we created here. And so it's not far off, but it certainly, uh, it helps us anytime, even in, in light recruiting, the more that, uh, people like you and the people that join to follow you and your websites and, and all of those things, it creates a buzz. Uh, and whether we like it or don't like it, uh, that is, that is something that helps a program continue to build and continue to grow when there's, there's more there's more uh, action in the social media world from people that say, man, I'm with this team. I support this team and obviously showing up to games. I, I regret like heck and wish that uh, wish that you know we could have normal home games this year with our people showing up. Unfortunately, that's out of all of our control at this point. Um, and so we'll have to, to manage our own energy somewhat. but uh, there's no question that winning, and then just the product you put out there, I think, creates a buzz. Awesome stuff, Coach. Really appreciate it. Good luck this Saturday, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Go Flames. All right, guys, I have with us Casey Warner. He is a writer for the WKU Herald there at Western Kentucky. He'll be kind of giving us the inside scoop here on our opponent on Saturday. Casey, thanks for joining us, man. And uh, are, are you a student there at the at the university? Yes, I am. First of all, thanks for having me, Chad. This is an honor to be, uh, you know, talking to the opposing team. I've never really done anything like this before, so this is pretty cool. But yes, I'm a student at a WKU. I'm a senior here. I actually transferred here from Thomas More University up in northern Kentucky a couple of years ago. And I actually used to play college football there myself. So I'm pretty familiar with the game of football, needless to say. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So, um, yeah, when, when you first saw Liberty on the schedule, I can't remember when this game was scheduled, probably a couple of years ago. When you first saw Liberty University, did you know much about the place and what were your initial reactions to um, WKU playing this game at home? And uh, 
and how have those perceptions changed and and evolved as we come here to kick off here in a couple of days on Saturday? So I'm going to be completely honest with you, Chad. Uh, going into this game, actually a couple of days ago, me and some of my buddies at Inside Hilltopper Sports, that's our WKU Rivals affiliate here. Uh, we had a podcast the other day, and I did some research, some homework on Liberty going into that. So I kind of had to brush up before that just by default. But before that, I honestly did not even know that Liberty University was an FBS team now, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I did my research, though, and have found out that you all have been a very successful program, uh, you know, going into y'all's third year in FBS. So that's very respectable. And I like what I've seen from the offense the past three years since you all have been in FBS. You know, uh, I saw last year you all averaged 32.8 points per game, which was 34th in FBS. So that's very impressive from only a third-year school. So I thought it was very impressive the success that Liberty has had in their short time in FBS. That's awesome. Awesome. Cool, man. So, um, yeah, let's talk about WKU's program as a whole. The head coach is, I think, headed into his second season. Just talk to us about what he's brought to the program, how he's kind of resurrected things, and how do you think he got that done? So uh, Tyson Helton, he's been here before. He used to be the quarterback's coach, actually, on a Jeff Brom's team when Jeff Brom coached here back in uh, 2016. And uh, he did an excellent job then as quarterback's coach. He groomed some good guys that are now in the NFL. Mike White, he's on the Jets now. He was a great arm that we had. Brandon Dowdy, we've had a couple great QB arms. And I think him really developing those guys and showing leadership at that position really helped uh, groom him into becoming a head coach. And, uh, you know, we had Mike Sanford in here two seasons ago. We went three and nine. Very disappointing for what's been a successful WKU team in the past decade. So he came in, immediately changed the mindset and the attitude around this program. You know, he told fans that we're going to get back to winning. We're going to get back to our traditional ways in which we've been doing things the past decade. And immediately last year, it was kind of funny how it worked. Last year, we actually lost our first game to an FCS opponent last year. And everybody started panicking again. But from then on out, he just picked things up. The team picked things up. And we went 9-4 and four last year. Great season. A great win to cap off a bowl win season last year against Western Michigan in the first responder bowl. So he has definitely revamped the program. Uh, the attitude of winning is back. And the fans are very excited to have Tyson Helton here. And so am I. Cool. So uh, this Saturday, you speak, speak of the fans. This Saturday, I, I believe this is uh, your first home game as you were on the road in Correct. Louisville last week. Um, 25% capacity. Are you going to be in attendance? What's kind of the vibe? What's kind of the vibe down there in terms of like who can attend and and who all is going to attend? And then do you expect like crowd noise to be pumped in? What can we expect if we flip on the TV to ESPNU and watch this game? What what do you think we can see out of the crowd? And and what is it normally like down there? Is it kind of jam packed? Is it full of students or is it more like alumni or is it Donors, what's kind of the vibe down there at WKU when you go on for college game day, tailgating, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so to begin with, I'll definitely be there. Um, I'm a member of the media, so I automatically get you know rights to go to every home game in the press box. So I'll be up in the press box myself. I'd uh, love to do that. It'll actually be my first time up there, so I can't wait to uh, do that. Very looking forward to that. And then uh, the fans, as far as that goes, we're allowing 20%. So it's going to be about two to 3,000. I want to say in uh, in attendance, uh, I know I think the first 1,000 students get the first rights to go in the game. So uh, that'll be pretty interesting. I expect there to be quite a few students turn out to this game. I would say that uh, the fans, other than the students, is going to kind of vary because, funny story, I'm actually going to try to get my dad in as a student this weekend because he really wants to see our first home game. 
And uh, he was told by the ticket office that only season ticket holders and people that have had tickets in past years are getting the first rights to go in the game. So I'm going to try to sneak my dad in uh, with a student ID and try to get him in the game. Hopefully that works. Uh, that'll be pretty interesting to see. But the, overall, the game day attitude down here is it's very acceptable, I want to say. I don't want to say it's elite or it's anything special, but it's acceptable. Uh, there's a great vibe around the campus. You know, there's usually a lot of tailgating going on. A big buzz on campus right outside the stadium, a lot of tents set up, a lot of donors, a lot of alumni come back to football games. Uh, we don't pack usually every game, I want to say, but the big games we always pack against rivals and, you know, big time opponents. I would think the buzz is going to be very much in the air, though, this Saturday for this game, being the first uh, home game of the season and a very respectable opponent in Liberty University. So I expect the turnout to be almost at full capacity, which is around two or three thousand, like I said. So. I would expect the turnout to be pretty impressive this Saturday uh, with the circumstances being had. So I expect a great atmosphere and uh, Hilltopper football fans love their football, love their basketball, pretty traditional program in those two sports. So I expect the fans to show out, be socially distant and follow the guidelines in place. Awesome, man. So talk to us about Saturday down in Louisville. I watched most of that game. Uh, Quarterback looks very fast. He looks like a problem. The running back looks like a problem. Um, kind of give us your reactions to the to going down there. ACC Louisville, second year head coach down there from App State. Um, he has that program rolling in the right direction. You guys went in there and took a couple on the chin and kept fighting and made it a game. So what what is what is the overall reaction to that? Is it a disappointment or is it a hey we went in we we gave it our best effort and uh, we we look you know I know you were telling me earlier that you guys opened the season last year with an FCS loss. So it's got to feel good to go on the road there in the ACC and at least at least uh, put up a good fight. Absolutely. I mean, I want to say the overall vibe coming off of that game is not disappointment, but kind of just where can we go from here? You know, uh, I really think that Terrell Pigrome in his first game as starting quarterback, he didn't, you know, impress anybody by any means, but he did and he showed what he can do not just throwing the ball. And he did a really good job of getting out of the pocket, being very mobile. Uh, I love the uh, the dipping and diving out of the pocket. He was able to make fender, make defenders miss, and he looked really good in that aspect. Uh, he actually led the team in rushing yards. He had 11 carries for 68 yards in that game. So I was impressed by that. But overall, I just can't say enough about Scott Satterfield and the job he's done at the University of Louisville. Uh, two years ago, I'm a big University of Kentucky fan, too. And two years ago, I know that Louisville program was in shambles. UK beat them, I think, 55-10, to 10, I want to say, in the final game of the season. I hadn't seen a Louisville team that was 2-10 and 10 and that bad in years. And he just came in and immediately changed the attitude of that program and turned that program around. They went 8-5, and five, had a bowl win last year. So that was very good for them. So, I mean, that team was no pushover at all. And they were favored in that game by 13.5 points. And we ended up actually covering the spread right at 14. So I was actually pretty impressed with that. But that offense is electric, man. Mikhail Cunningham can run. He can throw downfield. He hit all of his deep balls. Very athletic kid. JV and Hawkins is very athletic. And, of course, Tutu Atwell on the outside line and up a receiver for them. They have some great, electric, impressive athletes in that offense. And Scott Satterfield has done an excellent job of turning that around. So all the credit in the world to him. But I very much expect that this WKU team is going to settle in more on offense where they kind of struggled a little bit, and they're going to improve things this week. All right, so let's uh, let's say you guys get the kickoff and you march out that offense, and uh, you'll probably be uh, – I hope you're wearing the chrome helmets. I like those last week. But well, let's say you march out, march out the offense. Uh, who, who should I be focused on? Besides the quarterback, obviously, 
Uh, Pegram, I think, is how you said his last name. What is uh, who should be we be watching um, the first couple of snaps just to say, okay, is this guy a difference maker? Is there anybody on the line that that is going to basically uh, move people around, or is there any explosive playmaker we should keep our eye on, or, or, or who should we be watching on the offense? So that's pretty interesting, actually, you mentioned the offensive line, because last week the offensive line did not do a good job at all, and that's something that surprised a lot of Hilltopper fans. Uh, this offensive line is returning four starters from last season, and actually they were one of the highest-ranked uh, graded rather offensive lines by pro football focus coming into the season. So a very disappointing first game. Uh, Louisville had 10 tackles for loss on us, as well as three sacks. So you don't like to see that from your offensive line. But like I said, all the credit in the world to Louisville but this offensive line definitely has to step their game up this game. Uh, the four returning starters definitely need to hold their ground better in this game. We do have a new guy at the right tackle position. That might be a revolving door as the season goes along. But overall, that offensive line definitely needs to improve. But as far as playmakers go on the offensive side of the ball, the two guys you're really going to focus on, other than Terrell Pigrome, is uh, Gage Walker, senior running back. He's coming off of a 1,000-yard-plus season last year. He was our workhorse. He absolutely grinded out those yards. Got almost every carry. And uh, Brian Ellis, our offensive coordinator, actually said that this offseason, the goal was to really focus on maybe getting the change of pace guy in there and give him some breaks because he is such a workhorse back there. So he's going to get all the carries he can take. He's going to get that work. Watch out for Gage Walker in the backfield. And then other than that, Jakur Pearson. He's a senior wide receiver as well. He likes to line up in the slot. He is very electric. He actually had a 60-yard reception last week against Louisville. Couldn't come down with it, though. He caught the ball, ran a few yards, and then fumbled it, and then Louisville recovered. So that was a big mistake on his part. But looking for him to improve this week, I expect more big plays from him. Uh, Jakur Pearson is going to be clutch for us in the slot. I feel like if he can get the ball at least five or six times a game from Pigram, that's going to be big. But I might as well mention one more guy on the offense that has an impact, and that's Josh Simon. He didn't have an impact in that week one loss against Louisville. He actually only had two targets and no catches. But Josh Simon is a very big fella. Let me tell you, this guy is six foot six. He's about 250 pounds and he can move too. Very athletic. He's going to have to get the ball if we're going to win against you all this coming week because he is such a playmaker and he showed that last year. So we definitely need to focus on getting Josh Simon the ball. Dude, this is some hard hitting stuff here, man. You're a, you're a senior writing for the school paper down there. And uh, this is your first audio interview podcast, you know, for an opposing fan. You are, you're coming coming through with the stats that love the pro football focus grading out so uh, let's hop over to the other side and uh, get your take there let's say we get the ball we we, we jot out our uh, our new and improved offense with uh, Malik Willis SEC transfer quarterback and uh, he comes out there who, who are we looking at on the defense that's going to make that big hit make that big play who, who does the defense kind of evolve around and, and which one of those chrome helmets should we pick out to kind of keep an eye on so uh, immediately, just going to focus on the defensive line on WKU's part. We got D'Angelo Malone. He is the reigning 2019 Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year. He had 11.5 tackles for loss last year to go with 10-plus sacks. Uh, that man is an absolute monster coming across the edge. Uh, him and Jawan Jones opposite him. Jawan Jones had seven and a half sacks last year. He was very impressive on the outside as well. Jawan Jones gets quite overlooked by a lot of guys. He actually wasn't in the preseason all CUSA team and he was actually he made it known he was pretty upset about that in uh, past Zoom conferences this fall so Juwan Jones coming off one edge and D'Angelo Malone coming off the other edge are quite scary for some teams they had a pretty big impact in that Louisville game actually I mentioned that 
Louisville had 10 tackles for loss in that game. We had 10 tackles for loss, too, on the other side of the ball. So that was pretty impressive. So if we can keep that up, that's going to be key. Uh, but I also can't forget to mention some of these senior defensive backs we got. We got uh, Devin Key, safety. Uh, he's a senior as well. He's going to be huge. He's been big in past seasons at a ball hawking, you know, laying the hits on people across the middle. Devin Key is going to be big. And then Antoine Kincaid, he's another defensive back back there that's going to be big. Actually, a fun stat to uh, think about is this WKU team has seven returning starters that are seniors in that defensive backfield. So a very veteran, very experienced defensive backfield that the Hilltoppers are going to put out there against Liberty. So I very much expect that defensive backfield to improve because let me just tell you, man, Louisville absolutely torched our defensive backfield last weekend. And I don't want that to happen again this weekend. So I expect a lot more from that defensive backfield. Very good stuff, man. And so. So we kind of got kind of got the lay of the land with the players there. Give me an overall scheme um, or a key key stat or key key something. If you're doing this well, then you're probably going to win the game. What are you What are you looking at there? If you look at one or two stats there at the end of the game, and you say, "Okay, we did this and we did this." That means we probably won the game. I'm going to say it's all on Terrell Pigram in this game. Can he get the offense going the way Tyson Helton? wants this offense to run, and can he hit his short checkdowns? Now, I was like I said, I was very impressed with his running ability last week, but I did notice that his short passing ability was very sketchy at times. Uh, it seemed like he was kind of rushing some throws, kind of maybe throwing off the ball and foot a little bit. So if he can hit his short checkdowns across the middle, like I said, hit that big fella Josh Simon tight end across the middle, he definitely needs to get some catches in this game to be effective. Uh, hit his deep balls a little bit better, and then, of course, get the running game going. You know, he was the leading rusher from last week with 68 rushing yards. And then other than that, none of our running backs had any more than 20 rushing yards. So we're going to have to get Gage Walker involved in the offense much more, get him his carries, get him his 100 yards that he's used to getting every game, and uh, get that running game and that short passing game going. So I want to say, you know, this offense is kind of like a West Coast scheme. Tyson Helton knows that he has an athletic quarterback. He knows that he can roll out, hit those short dink and dunk guys, we got plenty of fast receivers, plenty of athleticism at the tight end position. So, I mean, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to hit that this game. So that's very much going to be key for this Hilltopper offense is to hit those short check downs and really settle into the way Tyson Helton wants this offense to work with Terrell Pigram at the quarterback position. Yeah, man, that that's uh, that. it sounds like, you know what, when you're talking about uh, the Hilltoppers, you could just substitute a few names in there. And it sounds like you're talking about our exact Liberty offense and defense. <laughs> awesome. I mean, I mean, we got Malik Willis out here who is a, a transfer from Auburn. He's fast as lightning. Uh, we haven't seen him in any game footage uh, other than actually we saw him when we played Auburn a couple years ago. Right. I read and, about uh, that. So, so yeah, I, I think you're we're spot on there. I mean, we know he's elusive. We know he's going to get his rushing yards. But the two things we need to get going are a running game, just like you mentioned, and we also need to see him hit, be more accurate with some of these uh, short, shorter throws. So, um, looking forward to a very fast-paced game. Um, last, last thing we'll leave you with here is um, NFL talent. I know you talked about the defensive line. Coach Freeze was very complimentary in his uh, press conference this week about that defensive line, saying it could be one of the best we have seen in his time at Liberty. Um, is he projected uh, NFL player? Uh, yeah, D'Angelo Malone is absolutely, I'm going to say he's going to be a first three-round kind of guy. There's no way this guy gets taken after round three. D'Angelo Malone has absolutely been wreaking havoc for the Hilltoppers in the past two seasons. Uh, very tall, 
long, lengthy, athletic defender. He has all the tools that he needs to be an NFL edge rusher, 3-4, uh, 4-3, four, four, you name it. He can line up in any scheme and get to the quarterback. He's a very impressive specimen to watch out there on the football field. D'Angelo Malone will absolutely be in the draft, and his name will be getting called next season. Uh, so expect him to definitely make big things happen at the next level. And then Jawan Jones as well, like I mentioned, coming off the other side, he doesn't get a lot of attention, but he's going to make himself known this year, I believe. And uh, he's going to have a big season as well. So those two edge rushers are most definitely NFL talent worthy. But then as far as other than that goes, I mean, it's kind of a toss up in the defensive backfield. Devin Key has shown some promise. Uh, Roger Cray is a pretty quick guy back there to show some good footwork. He's been able to return some punts and do some good things like that. So I think as far as other guys go that could make an impact at the next level, it's kind of a toss-up. we got some senior leadership on this defense. Uh, I might as well mention Jeremy Darvin in the middle, too. He's a defensive tackle. He's a senior. He's a pretty big fella coming in at over 300 pounds. So he could have an impact at the next level. But other than Jawan Jones and D'Angelo Malone coming off the end, it's kind of a toss-up. Any of these guys could have a breakout season and kind of make themselves known. But I'm really expecting some of these seniors to step up in this game, and we'll get a little bit of a better idea about who's going to do some stuff this year and who might have a chance at the next level. Man, that was so great stuff there, Casey. Really appreciate your uh, time here joining us. Um, you know, I'm uh, you got a you got a future in this, man. You're you're doing really good at it, and uh, I'm kind of sitting out here on the back porch doing it as a hobby after my day job. Sounds like uh, sounds like you might be uh, getting the call up to the pros here before too long. So really appreciate all your time and effort with this. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Where can we follow you for the game and uh, kind of get get your takes during game day and then kind of read your reactions to the game? Where can we find you? And, and I know you'd mentioned a website earlier, but is there a website or a Twitter handle that you want to share? Absolutely. First of all, Chad, thank you for the kind words and the uh, compliments. That really means a lot to me. I really do try to focus on this. Broadcasting is my major here at WKU, so definitely trying to work my way up in this field. And can't thank you enough for the opportunity again. So thanks for that. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Casey Warner. That's the C-A-S-E-Y-W-A-R-N-E-R. You can find me on there. All of my media, I'll be retweeting from the WKU Herald as well as InsideHilltopperSports.com. Again, that is our WKU rival site. Shout out to Sean Williams and Tyler Mansfield. They do an excellent job of keeping that under control for us and putting some great content out there. So you can see my stuff as far as the WKU Herald goes and Inside Hilltopper Sports all on my Twitter. And I might as well throw in, too, that I am involved at ESPN 1027. That is our local ESPN affiliate here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. You can uh, tune into our app. We have an ESPN Radio 1027 app you can tune into. You can hear me on Friday nights breaking down some high school football with my good co-host, Brian Webb. We do that every Friday. That is ESPN Radio 1027.com or our app. I have a good time doing some stuff there with them and being a part of that radio station. So, again, the Casey Warner on Twitter, Inside Hilltopper Sports, WKU Herald, ESPN 1027. That's what I'm involved with. And, again, Chad, thank you for having me. All right. Appreciate it, Casey. Pros pro there, guys. And uh, we got the – you got – you definitely got the scoop on uh, Western Kentucky there. So, looking forward to a good game. And, uh, you know, we'll def- here's here's one final thought for you from, from my end. We're just our third year into FBS, and one of the major things that's been really cool is um, we play teams, we get to know teams, uh, we talk to people like yourself and learn about these teams, and then we get to watch you play the rest of the year on TV. At uh, in the FCS level, you know, we would we would play a game and then we'd never hear from that team again. So it'd be interesting to keep up with you guys season after this. Being an independent, 
I hope you win the rest of your season other than Saturday. So uh, good luck, man. And uh, and and if you do me a favor, when you go to the game on Saturday, uh, my buddy John Manson, he owns the website here, aseaofred.com. Look up John Manson. Go say hi to him. And uh, and yeah, that'll that would be pretty cool. So Casey, appreciate your time. And uh, we'll look forward to this game on Saturday. Absolutely. Thank you, Chad. It's been great. It's been almost 10 months since you got to bet on a Liberty football game, and the wait is finally over. This Saturday at high noon, the Flames travel to Bowling Green, Kentucky to take on the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky. Some numbers to take a look at. Liberty started the week as a 12-point underdog, and money quickly came in on the Hilltoppers as that line now sets between 14 and 14 and a half, depending upon the book that you're looking at. The Hilltoppers are coming off a 35-21 to 21 loss at Louisville, but it really wasn't that close last week as they found themselves down 28-7 to 7 at halftime. They're led by Maryland transfer and senior Tyrell Pigram at quarterback. He's a dual-threat quarterback and had the majority of the team's yards last week. The Flames, they also are in a similar situation with a new starting quarterback who transferred in from a Power 5 school, this one being Auburn. And earlier this week, Malik Willis was named the starting quarterback. He's got some huge shoes to fill after Buckshot Calvert graduated. He only has one career touchdown, and ironically, that was in a game where Auburn played at home against Liberty back in 2017, and he got a rushing touchdown late in that game. A couple numbers to keep in mind. Liberty is 4-1 in their last five games against the spread, but they're just 2-4 straight up on the road in terms of the total. That's sitting at 54. Weather will not contribute to any problems for the kickoff at noon on Saturday, as it'll be sunny in 72. We got two plays for the week, and we advise you to roll with these. Liberty, plus 14 and a half if you can get it, and we also like the under at 54. For the Liberty Line this week, I'm Jared Brooks. Guys, that was an incredible experience. We had head coach Hugh Freeze, Casey Warner was the hard-hitting opposing team guest, John Manson with his thoughts early on, and then the Liberty Line with Jared Brooks. What a fun episode. Uh, this was this was incredible and uh really enjoyed really enjoyed that. It kind of brought game week to life for me and uh looking forward to watching this game on Saturday. Thank you guys for listening and go Flames.